0: Done that and heard it all. Trust me, there'll be few things that I haven't experienced firsthand. I created this podcast because I just love to help mums like you find ways to navigate life in the thick of it and find a way out of it. Episode 603 Does your child spend too much time immersed in social media and video games? Welcome to my podcast book club series on the book The Tech Diet for Your Child and Teen by Brad Marshall. Over the next couple of months I will be going through each chapter of this book highlighting all you need to know in order to come up with a media plan that is actually implementable, practical and works. In today's episode part two in the series I will be covering chapters three and four on the psych science of social media and Is Your Child Gambling Online? Don't forget that the links to buy this book can be found in the show notes, and please note that I do not receive any money for any purchases made. Also, all information read and discussed in these episodes from the book are copyright to the author, Brad Marshall. I hope that over the course of the holidays, you will be able to put into place a system to manage your kids' screen diets, and in doing so, Better prepare you for the new school year starting in September. And if you're in a country where the new school year doesn't start in September, I know down in Australia and New Zealand, the new school year starts in January, then why don't you use this time just to go through this book with me and you can implement the plan as and when you are ready? If you're listening to this and it's the first time you've listened to an episode from me on the Parenting in the Thick of It show, please do go back to episode 602, Generation Now, Generation Smartphone, How Did We Get Here? Because that is part one in this book club series and it would be better to listen to them all than to just listen to one that is in the middle of the the book and try and pick up the pieces. So do head back to episode 602 if you haven't heard that prior to listening to this. For this generation, social media is huge. And I think it's got to the point where the kids can't live without it, but at the same time, they're struggling to live with it. It hooks them in and creates anxiety for them when they're in it, chasing perfection and constantly comparing themselves to others. And at the same time, they're anxious when they are off it for the fear it creates of missing out. FOMO is rampant. So how do we manage it? And then there's the video games and everything that comes with with that, including gambling. And having read this book, The Tech Diet, I confess to being a tad ignorant regarding the gambling and the amount of it. It's certainly not to be sniffed at and be blissfully unaware of. You have to know about this stuff if you want to be able to help your kids navigate it. And as much as we, I, I know you want to go straight to episodes you know, 605, 6, 7, 8, 9, where I actually discuss the plan and the steps that you need to take in order to manage it. As the author says, knowing this is paramount to being able to manage it because you have to understand the effects of it all in order to successfully implement any of the strategies that he suggests you put into place to help you get a plan that actually works so social media is a big deal. And I think we the the what we have to understand is that the ways in which us as parents communicate with people now is very often through text messaging. And we need to know that kids are not using, you know, the iMessage and WhatsApp to message. They're using messaging services. They're using Snapchat, they're using Instagram as messengers. And it's very different because they need to be in the program, they need to be in the platform in order to receive their messages. And we know that these platforms are designed to hook them in. So we have to differentiate that: that when they're texting, they are they they need Instagram and Snapchat in order to communicate with their friends. And this is the dilemma that parents have because we want to say to them, you know, what just use. At WhatsApp, just use regular text messaging. But if they're the only ones that use that, then they're not going to be able to communicate with their friends. So it's really hard for us to manage it. So on page 47, Brad lists the top three trends he's seeing. He's seeing that the age of screen internet use is getting younger. And that is the number of 8 to 12 year olds that have access to social media, messaging services, and smartphones is increasing. And let's not forget that actually, to get an Instagram account, you have to be 13 years of age. And I think Snapchat's the same. So we're talking about a large percentage of kids who have these platforms, quote unquote, illegally. Teenagers are now more likely to use Instagram and Snapchat than Facebook. And they'll have accounts on all of them, but they don't tend to use Facebook because Facebook is, is populated by dorky adults, as Brad says. The third point is young girls often spend more time on social media and boys more time on gaming. But the recent trend, and I've certainly seen it with my kids, with my elder two, they were not on um, Snapchat as much. They were, you know, they were perhaps using text messages. But now my youngest one, I see he is using Snapchat and Instagram to message his friends. And this is the the trend. And where boys were typically only on social, on video gaming platforms, they're now using social media now in order to communicate with their friends. So this is important when implementing your tech diet, because these messaging services require the internet or Wi-Fi to operate, which is, of course, different from traditional text messaging that uses phone networks. So, on the next few 10 pages or so in this chapter, he discusses the pitfalls or the traps of social media. He calls them psych science number five, six, and seven. So, the first pitfall is the hyperpersonal effect, the second is the social comparison that goes on, and the third is what's called the Z- Zygarnik effect. And I'm going to explain all of these. The hyperpersonal effect is this. It's that kids take things very, very personally when they are responding to comments made online. I don't know why it is. The author believes it's something to do with the fact that when comments are made online, it's difficult to pick up on subtle human cues. In other words, you don't see the body language. You don't get the intonation, the tone and the energy behind it. You just get the words and us, as adults, we know the that when we are reading emails maybe from people, we can misinterpret them because we we may we perceive a certain thing about the tone, but we it 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 leaves it only to perception because we don't know what the actual tone is because we can't see the person now when we apply this to our kids and the fact that they are responding to a lot of social comments online. They can take them very, very personally and become kind of hyper-personal. And teenagers, it, uh, Brad, the author has noticed that teenagers in his office are rarely bothered by face-to-face altercations that happen at school, but they're really bothered by the ones that happen online. And the other massive thing with this is that a comment made in a group chat can be read by hundreds of people, whereas if a comment is made to them face to face, it's only maybe the person that they're talking to that hears it, or maybe, you know, if there's a couple of others in the group. But what they are communicating in these social media platforms can go almost viral. So hundreds of people can see what they're reading. So it's very important to to understand this. And the other thing is, remember, from many other episodes in my podcast, I share a lot about the brain science, how the prefrontal cortex is under construction and is, is being kind of redeveloped during the teen years. So they, they are not hardwired to deal with big emotions. So they can get really upset very, very quickly. And because of this social, this hyperpersonal effect, they can become quite emotional for a lot of the time. The other thing, psych science number six, so the second part of this social, the problem with social media and the pitfalls of it is the social comparison theory. Now it's known, it's a concept well known that we compare ourselves, our self-worth and self-esteem in relation to the successes and failures of others. And this can be a problem. We know that kids today have their identities wrapped up in social media. You know, how many likes they have, how many friends they have, how many threads they have going on Snapchat. And they equate this with being popular or being liked or being in the cool group. And this is dangerous. It's very dangerous for them to identify with this superficial form of validation. It's nothing more than a uh, online validation, external validation, which is does not build motivation and intrinsic uh, motivation, it does not build self esteem. So we have to be really, really careful, because they are comparing themselves constantly. They are chasing the illusion of perfection. This is not in the book. This bit about chasing perfection and and con the comparison. There's a little bit of it, but I think, you know, I want to add here and say that as parents, it's really important for us to point out to our kids or ask them, what, what do you understand by the word perfect? And I ask you, what does perfect mean? I'm going to ask you, says who? Is there a book that says perfect equals X, imperfection equals Y? How much is perfect? How little is perfect? And when we start thinking about it, we realize that it really is an illusion, that we are all perfect just the way we are. But with these kids and social media and these platforms, they're chasing this illusion of perfection. And everything posted on these platforms is the perfect photo. Half the stuff they're looking at has been airbrushed. It's been tweaked. It's been, you know, modified substantially, but they don't believe it. They think that this person is exactly this beautiful with no pimples or blemishes and their hair is always gorgeous. What they don't realize is a lot of these photographs have been created using airbrushes. And if not that, then a lot of the celebrities they're looking at have spent hours in hair and makeup before they have these photos taken. It's not normal and yet our kids think it is. This life they lead is normal. So they're always seeing the perfect photo when when people are on holiday. They're seeing the perfect photo and what they're not seeing is that just one second earlier, everyone was arguing, no one was having a good time. The kids are moaning about the fact they're on holiday with their parents and yet they'll then post this perfect picture of them sitting on a beach. And the friends think, oh my goodness, I wish I was there. They're so lucky. I'm not. I'm so bored. We compare ourselves constantly with what we see online and for our generation as parents, we were looking at magazines for our kids. It's in their pockets. It's in their hands all day long. It's really, really dangerous for them. So we have to know this and take this into consideration. The last thing that he, Brad talks about is in Psych Science number seven is the Z- Zygarnik effect, and this was based on research by a Lithuanian-born psychologist and psychiatrist called Bluma. Zygarnik in 1927. And it's a phenomenon that as humans, we are social beings and seek out a logical and satisfying conclusion to any social, social interaction we have. So think of this in the context of posting photographs on Snapchat or Instagram, that we post the photograph and we might say something about it. And we are wanting the affirmation, the validation. We want the comments. We want a logical and satisfying conclusion to what we've posted. So in technology, it pl- this plays absolutely perfectly. Or should I say that the platform designers, these tech designers play into this effect they know that we're wired to want to find out what people think, what is the conclusion, how did it finish, so it will keep us going back for more so how do how does th- these tech engineers how do they play into this for us well, there's a messaging feature that tells us if and when it's been read. There are push notifications that tell you how many notifications you have so you can see when there's been lots coming in. And the format of many social media posts is social media didn't collapse. Remember when social media didn't collapse posts? It was just one long scroll of the post, picture, and all the comments. Now, most po- platforms make you click on an icon to expand the comments. So, this results in you going into the last post first, and then you want to see the one before it, and the one before that. Before you know it, you're half an hour in. So this, the tech, these tech wizards have played right into this to hook us in even more. And I say us, they're hooking our kids in. The other really important point that he makes, which is really valuable information on page 57, he talks about the fake Instagram accounts and they're known as Finstagrams. And kids have fake Instagram accounts because for those of you parents who follow your kids on Instagram, if they have a fake account, you will be following the fake account. Their friends post on the fake accounts. They post all the things that they know the parents want to see to make the child look like they are towing the lines and doing everything perfectly. Like, I've got nothing to worry about because Johnny's really great on his social media. I mean, look what he's posting. Meanwhile... Johnny has a fake account. Now, he doesn't suggest for one minute that every kid has an account, but it is prolific enough that parents need to be aware of it. And he has on page 59 a what to do if your teenager might have a Finster account. And he recommends it's best not to come in guns blazing, because if you start throwing around accusations with no evidence, the argument usually descends into chaos. So he says, consider raising it in general conversation. So kind of like this, you say, you know, I read online today that some kids have fake social media accounts to fool their parents. And your kid might say, yeah, interesting. Thanks for that. You might even get an eye roll or some sassiness. You, do you have friends or anyone at school that does that? Seems like a waste of time to me. I don't get, get why you would do that. The teenager will say, Nope, never heard of it. The article you read must be wrong. You, yeah, the article must have been wrong, I guess. Seemed interesting though. Went into a lot of detail about how these kids do it. He goes on to ask us, What does this achieve? And he says it's what he likes to call a gentle shot over the bow without causing a full blown argument. And it might have your teenager rethink about using the account or just be a bit more mindful about what they're doing because they'll have a nagging doubt you're onto them. On the flip side, if they don't have a Finsta account, they'll chalk it up to you making uncool parents small talk and they'll move on. He also asks, should I start spying on my kids' social media messages or emails? It's a tough question and I think it's a tough question and so does he. And he says he understands the rationale, but in his experience, there's one major downside to this. And I agree 100 percent. And that is trust. It erodes trust between a child and their parent instantly. And he goes on to say that ultimately it is only a decision that each parent can make. It's not for any expert or author or myself to make any recommendations there. For all the parents who raise this in his clinic, he says, if you find something really concerning, are you willing to approach your child or teenager with that information and be honest about how you obtained it? Because if not, he doesn't see the point of spying in the first place. They won't even engage in the conversation until you admit you broke their trust by spying on their device. And that is a lose-lose situation. So, He does say he's going to introduce us to a parallel universe, the shady world of gambling on on games, which I'm going to talk about briefly now. But mainstream media has only touched the surface in this area, he says. So let's go deep. So in chapter four, he talks about is your child gambling online? And I have to admit to being a bit ignorant to this myself. I didn't realize, I knew that they could gamble, but I didn't realize it was as prolific as it is. He sees so many parents in his clinics and he says it's a very complicated topic and he attempts to break it down in the most parent-friendly non-tech way as possible. So in his work he's found that the easiest way to think about this topic is by breaking it into three main areas. One is in-game purchases, two is betting on games, and three is gambling onlines, gambling online rather. So the online, I'm I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this because I want, you know, you probably have picked up the book yourself and you can read the detail. But I think it is really important that we are not blissfully unaware of this because it goes on and it's more rife and rampant than we realize. So the in-game purchases is a bit like um, in, in the online sales world, upselling. So they play a game. And when they're playing the game, they are basically offered upsells. In other words, they're allowed a certain amount of credit to play in a certain period. And if the credit was up, a clock would appear on your screen and ask you to wait 20 minutes, 60 minutes, 12 hours or so until you can unlock the ability to play again. But wait, of course, there's the option to pay up and play immediately. So if they pay up, they can skip the wait time. So they don't want to wait because they're addicted to it and they're hooked into it. And they know if they wait the time, they lose by waiting. So they they upsell them these things in order to skip the wait time. And a lot of games are free to purchase, but once they're in it, the they know that there will be upsells in the form of in-game purchases along the way to open up new levels, new characters or or loot boxes, etc. And, you know, a loot box apparently is a general term for a lucky dip item within a game. So you pay a small fee, a few dollars to open one up, and you hope you strike it rich. So it's just like in the mall when these kids see the the box with all the toys in it and there's the claw and they put the money in and they hope that they pick up a they they hope they pick up a toy this is built into these games there is also virtual currency built into these games it's scary and the most common way that parents get caught out by this is the kids ask us if they can purchase a game so they hand us their, their phones and we make the purchase with our credit card on their phone because it has to be done on their phone because they want the app on their phone. We don't want it on our phone because we don't want them using our phone. So we have to be very, very careful with this credit card information. And so if you agree that your child can purchase a game online, they'll likely ask you for the card and enter the details. And these details are usually saved for your convenience. And he, rec- rec- he suggests that when you make the purchase, you do not let your kids know your password. So password protect all your cards, all your tech accounts linked to credit cards. And if you agree to purchasing something for your child, get them to bring up the payment screen, and ask them to leave the room while you actually enter the details and do not save the payment details on their phone. Make sure that box is not checked. And have a very frank and straightforward conversation with your kids that if there are any in-game purchases on the account, there will be consequences. Don't wait until there's a purchase. Make sure they know before the purchase. And he says, you know, all of this is a great start, but it doesn't prevent your child from straight up sneaking in your wallet and taking your details. And this happens, and it happens to the best of kids from the best of uh, homes with awesome parents who've been really, really careful. So be really careful with this. The second point, remember, was betting on games. And, you know, so I, I actually had to read this multiple times to understand it. It's really complicated. But basically, what happens is there's a host of third-party websites based in offshore countries that allow you to place a bet using an item or a skin that you own within a game. So the kids play the games. They They get skins and various things that they win in the games and they can then use those skins and items to bet. And it can get them into the whole betting thing. And then they can take the item that they have, that they've either won or they want to bet on to this website to have it valued so that they can match it with something of a similar value to his counterpart. They shake on it or click the accept button and off they go. So they're playing against someone the person accepts, okay, I'll take that if I win the game. And so the, gam- the, the, the gambling starts and they start betting on the games and betting on the skins that they win in the games. And it really is quite terrifying to read this. And you can also bet on professional gamers playing their games on other sides of the world And as he says, I don't know about you, but I can't see how this is fundamentally different from him placing a bet on on a betting app and watching the game on TV. The reality is whatever safety measures websites use to ensure children aren't betting aren't working because he sees it all too often in his office. So how does it work? He says, think of them as like an iTunes account for gamers. You purchase all types of games, items and skins on that platform. You can buy them through a credit card or their own virtual currency. He said, have you noticed a theme here? Games, apps, gaming or digital platforms, they all operate with their own currency. That's a key point parents to have to wrap their heads around. What can you do? You can be vigilant you can not allow your account details to be charged without a question. Look for warning signs, such as kids staying up too late to watch professional gaming sessions, or if they become unlike noticeably emotional, more emotional. It might be because they they're losing money on, on something. And be also be aware that these Platforms sell gift cards. So when they're given money for their birthdays, make sure that they're not using that money to buy gift cards that will allow them to bet online. The last thing, more serious, is gambling online. And there are again offshore websites that are akin to a full blown online casino. And they allow you to bet using various gaming items or currencies from the gaming platforms that the kids are on. They take a commission and the odds are slightly in their favor of course they are it always is he's seen teenagers in his clinic who've made an incredible amount of money doing this and then lost it all dozens of the dozens of times this has been in the tens of thousands of dollars and then what happens is they brag about the fact that they've won you know 5 grand gaming and then they're f- gambling online And their friends then say, oh, will you make me some money? So they take money from their friends, put that online. And then when they lose it, they lose their friends. And apparently it is soul crushing to hear these teenagers tell you that they were dropped by their entire friend group because they hit a bad streak and they lost all the money and lost their friends' money too. And he says... Once again, I've no doubt there will be people saying, I'm scaremongering by even writing a chapter on this, but I can't tell you how many children or teenagers fall prey to gambling or betting online. In his experience, it's a fairly common problem for parents. Betting on games and gambling less so, but, the, the, um, but for those who say it doesn't occur at all, consider this. Most reports estimate that betting on skins is somewhere between a two and 20 billion, that's with a B, 20 billion industry per annum. So he asks, are you trying to tell me none of that figure is attributed to gamers under the age of 18? Some parents panic too early, others don't panic soon enough and that's not a criticism by the author but how can we expect parents to know when to act if we don't know the signs so next episode episode 604 is going to be on chapter 5 when should parents panic this is a great chapter you guys i have listened i've read it already and there's so many useful tools in chapter 5 that will really help you because this actually is the the crux of it all When do we actually panic? What are the signs? How do I know? Should I do something? Should I not? What should I do? So you will be taken. I'll take you through this in the next episode. So I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. It has been a bit longer than I thought. We're up to 30 minutes. I apologize about that, but it's too important to miss. You have to understand the perils and pitfalls of social media so you can help your kids see through it. Help them understand how it's hooking them in and with the gaming and gambling online that you understand there's a good chance it might be happening. So if they know you know, that's good. If you don't give them your credit card details, even better. So guard those passwords and do not let your kids have access to your credit card online. Because they remember, they are addicted to these programs. They don't want to stop them. They're hooked in. They believe they're going to win a million. They believe they're going to be the best gamer in the world. And they will keep playing. And if they have to pay to do that, they will. Where there's a will, there's a way. And these are the best kids with the best of intentions, but they're being brainwashed by these tech engineers who are manipulating These young brains and preventing those brains from developing in the ways in which they should and could. I'm going to stop there, but I hope you've enjoyed this. If you have, please don't forget to share it with friends and family. You can go onto your social media platforms. I know, here I am saying beware of them, and I'm saying use them, but they are good to spread the word. They are good to help get messages out there. They're good to help parents get this support, advice, and tips. And solutions they need to the challenges they're facing and I want to reach as many parents as I can because this is my way of giving back this is free advice and I like to make sure that everyone who needs it gets it so if you know someone who's struggling do reach out to them and share this podcast with them so you can help them get access to the help they need. So once again, if it wasn't for you, there would be no podcast. So thank you so much to all of you who tune in each and every week to me, Louise Clark, on the Parenting in the Thick of It show. That's all for now. Till next time. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to being with you all soon. Bye for now.